We're on our way to Second Timothy this morning, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this wonderful time. Any day is a wonderful day when we can gather as a family, a church family, to worship together. Lord, to lift our voices in song, to have this reminder before us of these songs that we sang, these truths that we sing, based on the truths from your word. And, and Lord, I pray that, that these words that we sing would not be offered in, in uh, a rote, kind of empty, meaningless. Father, I pray you would help us as we sing and worship, be thoughtful about the words we sing, that we truly would mean deeply that we want you to wash us clean and purify us, whiter than snow, to, to wash us clean of sins. Lord, we are very grateful that when we sin, and how often we sin, Lord, when we sin, we can turn to you and confess that we sinned and know that you have given us complete forgiveness because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for us that that washes away our sin when we confess our sin and believe in Jesus Christ and gives us continual cleansing when we repent and turn to you. And in humility, Lord, I pray that we would truly sing those words and others like them and mean them, that we would ask for you to help us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that for us as we come to your word this morning, that we would come humbly before your word, truly desirous of, of being changed toward Christ's likeness, being changed from the inside out with the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you would help us to humble ourselves before your word today and always for your work to do its work in us, for your spirit to do your work in us with the power of the word. Help us to yield to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. Go there with me. We're headed back to Second Timothy 2 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 22, 20, 21, and 22 this morning. The instruction that we saw last week that Paul gave Timothy was to be on guard against false teachers and to avoid what often characterizes false teachers. And we, we pick up from that thought with verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. I noted it. The, the instruction we saw from, from uh, Paul to Timothy last time based on the fact that Timothy was going to be and was facing those who were teaching falsehoods about the gospel. And he challenges Timothy, be on guard against false teachers. Avoid their falsehoods. Avoid their false teaching. They're departing from the truth. Don't, don't be caught up in what they're doing. And avoid often what characterizes false teachers yourself, he says to Timothy. 
And we noted it last week. We saw it as we looked here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We noted in verse 21, or actually in verse 19. I'm getting ahead of myself here in verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. He, he says to Timothy, don't forget, People might fool you, but God will never be fooled. The Lord knows those who are His. And then this this instruction, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And then he goes into verses 20 through 22 here, which we just read. You know, characteristic of those who depart from the truth, characteristic of those who don't preach the true gospel, Characteristic of them is that they prefer to get into arguments over useless words. They like to quarrel about words. They like to fight over the fine points of doctrine. And Timothy was to remind the church that the most important thing was not fighting over the fine points of doctrine. The most important thing was was living by the gospel and communicating the gospel to lost sinners so that they realize they need Christ and they have the answer to their need for salvation. And Timothy was to remind the church that the most important thing was the gospel, and he was to lead the church away from such controversies over godless words that only ruin the hearers, we learned last time, and only leads people away from faith in Christ. Timothy was to avoid it himself. He was to teach the church to avoid it. That's the call of preachers today, preachers and pastors today, to teach the Word, teach the Gospel, preach the Gospel, lead people away from silly controversies and things that are argue, arguments over fine detail that, that will never be able to settle this side of heaven. And let's get into the Gospel. And let's preach the Gospel. Let's preach the truth of Jesus Christ crucified for your sins, risen again for your salvation, that you might know Jesus Christ personally and be forgiven of your sins. Let's get back to the gospel, he says to Timothy. Let's make sure we stay there and avoid what those foolish false teachers are doing. Don't be caught up in that, Timothy, and teach the church not to be caught up in that. That's the call for us today. That's my responsibility, to teach the word, preach the word, to cut it straight, as Paul told Timothy last week we noted it. Let me ask you this morning, as we think about false teachers Whose approval is more important to you? Whose approval is more important to you? Because because also characteristic of false teachers is that they often have the desire to please people over pleasing God. They will often do things that that indicate that they are more concerned with pleasing men than they are with pleasing God. They're seeking man's approval rather than seeking God's approval. I, I ask you this morning, whose approval is more important to you? Would you think about that for a moment? Sometimes the answer isn't what it should be. I know the Sunday school answer. I know what you're supposed to say, and you know what you're supposed to say, right? Whose approval should be most important to you? Maybe I should ask. Whose approval should be most important to you? It's God's approval that should be most important to us, right? Right? I'm hoping you're with me here because this is right out of the Bible, and if we can't agree on this, then we're in some serious trouble, right? Because it's God's approval we need. That is so hard, isn't it? You know why we all dressed up this morning? Well, I shouldn't make blanket statements like this, should I? I should be really careful because some of you, many of you, could have your heart in just the right place. And you put on your Sunday finest because you want to glorify God. 
I put on a suit coat because I knew that if I wasn't going to wear a tie, I'd better have a suit coat on because my wife wouldn't let me out the door without something like this that makes me, you know, look a little bit better than I normally look. Right? I mean, sometimes we put on our Sunday best because people are going to be looking at us and wondering why we didn't dress nicer, right? You know, I'm, and I've said this to our guys before our leadership said, guys, I'm more concerned with people being here than with how they're dressed. I want to be all about People being here. But I, you know, there's something that happens in us when we begin to honor and glorify God that we say, you know what? I want to look nice. I want to be, I want to be presentable before God. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And so however you're dressed this morning is not the issue. Your, your heart attitude is the issue. Do you want to please God? Are you here today because you want to know God's Word? I hope that's true of you. Because Paul says to Timothy, and in effect, the Spirit says to the church, because God inspired Timothy to write this for our, for our benefit, you had better be more concerned with pleasing God than pleasing men. And yet, we often find ourselves doing just the opposite, don't we? Whose approval should be most important to you? Because often those who get caught up in false teaching find themselves going down this path that they are far more concerned with what people think than they are with what God thinks. And it is far more important to please God than it is to please man. You know, I think that if we would go back to verse 14, go back and look at that for a moment, back up into verse 14. Go back to verse 14, take it very personally and seriously here, Paul's challenge to Timothy and the church, where he says, remind them of these things. Why, why do we have to be reminded? Because I'm, I have to remind you this week because you forgot what I said last week, right? Same reason. Because we don't, we don't easily remember, we easily forget these things. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. This is a serious charge. This is a serious instruction to Timothy to charge the church with this. Don't forget these things. It's before God we stand for approval. And then if we'd move into verse 15 and take very seriously this statement, do your best to present yourself to God. You get that? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. If you're presenting yourself to God, whose approval? Should you be trying to gain? God's approval, right? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by God. A worker who has no need to be ashamed in front of God. Rightly handling the word of truth, honoring God, right? We need to take that seriously, personally, that we would rightly handle God's word of truth, get into it for ourselves and understand it for ourselves. And then if we take very seriously the statement in verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Remember, the Lord knows those who are His. You can't fool God. And then this statement, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You you prove whose you are by the way you live. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I don't think that we could help but come away from those challenges and not realize that we must live to please God. We must live to please God. We find it here. We find it elsewhere in God's Word. Our deepest desire ought to be one of a deep yearning to please God above everyone else. Now that's the conclusion that we have to come to as we as we read God's Word. That we're to live for God's glory. We're to live for His pleasure. And God is very good to us. You know, sometimes we think that, oh no, if I have to live for God's glory, oh no, if I have to live for God's pleasure, that means I'm not going to have any pleasure. Wrong! 
God is all about you enjoying life this side of heaven. But you really will only enjoy life when you're living for God's glory. When you live to please Him, you live by His standards. That's the thing that we find so disconcerting about the world. And the thing we find so challenging when Satan likes to tempt us and make us think that that's not true. That we ought to live by the world's standards because that's where the fun is. And God says, no, no, live by my standards and you will please me and you will have a joy-filled life. You know, because no one's going to stand before God one day at the judgment and say, you know, Lord, I just didn't, I just didn't do enough compromising of your truth to win enough friends. I wish I'd have done more of that. You think we'll ever say that before God? I wish I'd have compromised your truth just a little bit more than I did. Absolutely not. You think someone will stand before God in the judgment and say, Lord, you know, I just wasn't worldly enough to gain the right friends, you know, to get the right power, the right prestige. If I, I, I just been more worldly. I wish I'd have done that. You think you'll say that before God? Absolutely not. That's stupid, isn't it? I just didn't manipulate enough people, Lord. I wish I'd have manipulated more people to get the kinds of things that I wanted, to gain the powerful influence that I wanted. I just wish I'd have done more of that. We're not going to say that before God. The opposite will be true. No way will you say that to the Lord. We're going to bow before a holy and righteous God and finally and completely humble before God. We're going to say, Lord, I wish, I wish I had been more pleasing to you in the way that I lived. That's what we're going to say. But as long as you're still here, I have hope for you. As long as you're still here, as long as you're breathing today, as long as you have another day, and you do as far as I can tell, as long as you have tomorrow, when you get up tomorrow, you've got another day as long as the Lord gives it to you, and those days that follow, you have days ahead of you as long as the Lord tarries, as long as the Lord gives you His mercy and allowing you to have extra days, you have days to live for Him. You have days to give to serving for His glory. As long as you're still here and breathing, you have an opportunity to change your heart attitude before God today and to start living for His glory and for His pleasure and not man's pleasure. Now, what we see in verses 20-22 through 22 is a continuation of that challenge. I want you to get that challenge and understand It's a continuation of that challenge, but from a slightly different perspective. In verse 20, Paul begins with a comparison. In verse 20, look at the comparison. He's illustrating here the differences between those in the church who are faithful and those in the church who are unfaithful. And he's challenging Timothy to challenge the church. So how do we think about this? How do we set ourselves apart from false teachers? How do we set ourselves apart from those who would only like to quarrel over words? How do we become numbered among the faithful? How do we live for God's approval? Well, we begin to find out here. Look at the comparison in verse 20. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Now, that's true of your house, right? In your house, you've got things set aside for special occasions. And you've got things that are for daily, not so special occasions. I, we've got that true in our house. We've got a really nice uh, cabinet. Uh, I think it's an antique. My sister gave us a cabinet several years ago. And, and then Carolyn's father found some beautiful china at an auction and gave her some china. She put that china in that cabinet. And the only time we get that china out is, china out is for very special occasions. It's not a daily thing. When we get it out, you know, something special is going on. We're having a special meal. We get that out for the family. Sometimes we get that out for company. 
Um, there's other containers in our house. We have in our garage, like you probably do, garbage cans, right? Now, there's a contrast for you, right? Garbage cans and fine china. Honorable, dishonorable, right? We would say, well, that you get the picture, right? Paul says that in a great house there are vessels of gold and silver and there are also vessels of clay and wood. Now, it's kind of a strange comparison here because you could actually use a vessel of clay and wood for something honorable, couldn't you? If you clean it up properly, it's the only thing you have. So it's not a very a very good comparison, maybe the greatest comparison, but we get the idea, don't we? There are there are times in a, in a great house where there's silver and gold things and beautiful things and things that, that would be used for honorable things. There are other vessels that, that we might not think of as honorable vessels that are used for dishonorable things. And the point is this, clearly, that those who wish to please the Lord are going to want to be vessels for honorable use, right? Those who want to honor God, those who want to set themselves apart from those who teach falsehoods about God's Word, are going to want to be pleasing to God, are going to want to be individuals who are vessels for honorable use. Look at verse 21. How do we become vessels for honorable use? If if we understand that, that there are vessels for honorable and vessels for dishonorable use, how do we become the vessels for honorable use that God will use? How do we do that? Look at verse 21. Therefore, here's the point. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So if you, if you wish to live for God's glory, and if you wish to be a vessel for honorable use, then you need to cleanse yourself from the things that are dishonorable. You need to cleanse yourself from the things that would result in you being considered dishonorable for God's use. You need to cleanse yourself. You need to set yourself apart from the things that would be dishonorable so that God will say, I'll set you apart for honorable use. So that God would look at your life and say, I'm going to use you for honorable things. And you will be useful to the Master and you will be ready for every good work. And we learn something about living to please God here too. Something that differs from being cleansed by the confession of sin. We know that we're cleansed when we confess our sin, right? We know that uh, from 1 John 1, 9. We, we confess our sins. God is gracious to forgive us, to cleanse us, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We learn something about living to please God. We learn something about being cleansed here. We know this truth from the Bible, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Right? But here's another perspective of cleansing. Paul says here in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself. Now this must be different, right? Because this is not something that we can do ourselves when we confess sin. We don't cleanse ourselves from sin, do we? God cleanses us from sin. He forgives our sin. This must be different, right? If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is talking about believers here who make deliberate choices to do away with things that would contaminate them for useful service to God. 
So we learn here that we are to cleanse ourselves. Yes, we get cleansing when we confess our sin and God cleanses us. But we also find out here that we have to cleanse ourselves, that we're responsible for making sure that we are cleansed. And God's Word tells us that those who seek to cleanse themselves from the dishonorable, God will make honorable vessels. He will set them apart as holy. They will be useful to the Master, ready for every good work. It's interesting that this is how Paul challenges Timothy to set himself apart from those who are teaching falsehoods, from those who are departing from the truth. He doesn't tell Timothy to teach the church to argue with the false teachers, does he? You see that here anywhere? Some would think, well, we're, we're supposed to argue. Well, let's argue with the false teachers and let's, and let's set them straight. Well, there may be a measure of, of correction that needs to be done, but if you can't correct a person, you know, some, sometimes false teachers just won't be corrected, right? If you could convince them and win them and help them understand the truth, all more power to you, right? But if you can't convince a false teacher, does Paul say, get in an argument with them? He doesn't, does he? Does he say, get up on your soapbox and say, we're telling the truth and they're not, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell them to declare themselves as the truth tellers and the, and the false speakers as the false speakers. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he tell them to do? It's very interesting to me that he doesn't say, point out the false teachers necessarily. Now there's a measure of this that's necessary in the church today because there's so much false teaching. We need to say, watch out for this. Watch out for that. But what's most important here is that Paul says, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. You get that? He tells them not to declare that they are different. He tells them to be different. You know how we set ourselves apart from false teaching? We make sure we're different. We make sure we're in line with God's Word, and you will be different. That's how God intends for His church to stand apart from the world today. We're not to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. You know, If the world doesn't turn to Christ, they're already condemned right where they are. We don't need to condemn the world. Why do sinners act like sinners? Because they're sinners, right? Because they don't have Christ. But what God's Word says, and what we learn from Paul in his instruction to Timothy, is that the way we make a difference in this world is by being different. By being people who are shaped by God's Word, who are, who are making sure they're setting themselves apart as, as vessels for honor, for God's honorable purposes. And that is how God intends for His church to stand apart from the world. And, and the point of standing apart from the world is not so that we condemn the world because the, the world is condemned, but it's so the world will realize we have what they need. So the world will look at believers and say, what they believe and what they preach is definitely true because I can see them being changed by it. And so the world might say, tell me how to find what you found. Tell me how to have what you have. That's how God intends for the church to change the world, by being different. Be different. Cleanse yourself from the dishonorable, and God will be gracious to use you as an honorable vessel for God's glorious purposes. And Paul gives helpful instruction in how believers are to cleanse themselves from what is dishonorable. Look at verse 22 again. So he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 
Now, I don't think when Paul talks about youthful passions here that he means things of an immoral nature, although it would include that, certainly. We ought to be done with immoral things, immorality. But that's not, I don't think, what he's pointing to when he talks about youthful passions. What he's talking about here, because of the context, is the nature of a person of youth to be kind of impetuous. A nature of a person of youth to be quick to get into an argument. Quick to exchange words when there's some kind of a debate that breaks out and misunderstanding, a difference of opinion. Remember where we've just come from. Think about where we've just come from in this passage in our previous study from verse 14 where Paul reminded Timothy not to quarrel over words. Remember? Don't quarrel over words. Instead, Timothy was to cut straight with the Word of God. He was to seek the approval of God. He was not to be seeking the approval of man. He was to avoid irreverent babble. He was to avoid useless and ungodly talk. And he was to depart from iniquity. And he was to teach the church to do the same. Right? And so in the context here, I don't think he's talking about departing from immoral things, although we we had better. But what he's getting at is the, the nature of a young person to kind of act irrationally at times if they're not intentionally slowing down and thinking. And so I think that's what Paul has in mind here as he points out that Timothy should flee youthful passions. The point here is that those of youth, such as Timothy, not to make little of those who are, who are younger, but the truth is, the fact is, is that, that, that those who are youthful haven't experienced as much and haven't had the, the experience of being in a, a struggle, a disagreement, an argument, or, or some kind of a debate and finding out that you're not going to settle it. So it doesn't make, it doesn't make much of a difference to get into it hot-headed and be argumentative, right? And so the point here for those of youth such as Timothy, because Timothy was fairly young, youth are often easily irritated, impetuous, often overconfident, and that's because of inexperience. And Paul's challenge to young Timothy was that he was not to get involved in responding from that youthful inexperience. He was let the Holy, let what the Holy Spirit gave him equip him for responding the right way. And I would suggest that that's possible in in our midst, even in young people and older people alike, that we can respond in a way that is Christ-like when we use what God gave us with with the wisdom of His Word and the filling and working of the Holy Spirit. We can respond in the right way. Now, what believers are to pursue, they're to be done with those youthful passions, right? So flee youthful passions. What we are to pursue, we see here. We're to pursue these things and we're to respond from these things. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Look, you pursue righteousness, right kind of living, God-glorifying kind of living. You pursue love, love for God and love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and love for the world. You pursue peace. Be a peacemaker, right? You be faith-filled believer. You pursue faith in God, faith in His Word. What's going to happen is you're going to be a person of righteousness and faith and love and peace. And we're to put off and to be done with those things that characterize false teachers, the things that would be the opposite of this. Notice here in verse 22 that there's a put off and a put on. This is very important for us here because we see something critical about how we deal with the sin nature because we have sins to deal with, don't we? Notice there in verse 22, there's a put off and a put on. Paul says, so, here's the answer. How do we please God? So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Put off 
youthful passions, put on righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You see, there's, there's an answer for us there as to how we become vessels for honorable use. We become vessels for honorable use by fleeing what we ought to flee and following what we ought to follow. By taking a pass on sin and pursuing hard after the things that God has, has challenged us with in His Word. We need to take that seriously, don't we? You see, sometimes we think, and, and I think we think wrongly, sometimes we just need to be done with some things. And yeah, that's true. There are some things in our lives as believers that we ought to be done with, that we ought to get rid of. There are thought patterns, there are, there, there are speech patterns, there are things that we say, there are things that we think, there are things that we do, there are ways that we respond that are not Christ-like. Because they're bound up in our, in our old nature, right? But God's Word says to be done with them. And sometimes we think, well, if I can just get rid of that, I'll be, I'll be okay. I just need to be done with that. And, and I would suggest that, that that kind of thinking only gets you halfway there. Because once you're done with something, you need to have something in its place. And you actually need to start filling your mind and your heart and your soul and your life with the, with the right thought patterns, the right speech patterns, the right the way, way to respond. And so when you're trying to put something off, you need to be putting in its place what should be there. And so it doesn't do us much good to just get done with things, be done with things and put off things. And so I think this is a very helpful reminder here, this put off and this put on picture that we see. The way we become vessels for honorable use is to flee the things that we ought to be done with and to follow hard after the things that we ought to pursue. To pass and pursue or flee and follow. Flee the things that are dishonorable and go hard after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I want to make certain we get this this morning. I want to make certain we, we take this to heart. You know, it's not enough to put off and be done with the things that would contaminate us for service to God. It, it's not that we just quit doing things that are dishonorable for a follower of Christ. We can dishonor Christ by not doing things that we should be doing. We can be done with a lot of bad things. And for some of us, some, some bad things are really easy for us not to do, Right? Well, some things that we're supposed to be doing are quite quite a bit harder to do. And we must also pursue the right things. We can't just be done with things and say, that's, that's enough, I've done it. We are only, only to flee, but we're also to follow. We don't just take a pass on sin, but we take a pass on sin and we put on Christ-likeness. We pursue righteousness. If you want to be a vessel of honor, not only do you put off, but you also put on. You put off the things of the world. You put on the things, the things that are heavenly and Christ-like. If you want to honor God with your life and you want to be a vessel for honorable use, you have got to begin by making deliberate choices to take a pass on sin and to pursue hard the things that honor God. And we see a picture of them right here. To flee from those things that lead us away from Christ-likeness and to deliberately follow after the righteousness, faith, love, and peace that God's people should be easily identified for. You know, we ought to be easily identified for the fact that we are pursuing righteousness, we are pursuing faith and love and peace. People ought to see our lives and go, that person is marked by righteous, by right kind of living. They might not know the terminology, right? They might go, something's different. I think the way that uh, J. Vernon McGee puts it is helpful when he writes, in these verses a believer is pictured as a vessel. If a vessel is to be usable, it must be clean. 
For example, imagine you're walking across a desert and you come to an oasis. You're parched and almost dying of thirst. You find two cups there. One is made of gold and highly ornamented, but it's dirty, it's filthy. The other is an old crock cup. It will just barely hold water because it's cracked, but it is clean. Which one would you use? Now he says, now give God credit for having as much intelligence as you have. He too uses clean vessels. He does not use dirty vessels. Remember in the second chapter of John's Gospel where, where we read of the Lord Jesus making a wine at a wedding. He had the servants drag out the old beaten up crocks, which the Jews used for purification, and had them filled with water. He took those old unattractive crocks and used them for his glory. And today, God is looking for clean vessels to use, not beautiful, but clean. I'm with J. Vernon McGee on that one. I think he's right in saying that, yeah, you know, you, you look at your life, you look closely at any one of our lives, you realize that we're not necessarily beautiful people, are we? We've got sin in our lives that we've been forgiven of. We might have sin in our lives that we need to confess. You know what? God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He's given you forgiveness if you'll accept it. If you'll confess your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you can be, be made new and whole and given new life in Christ. And as followers of Christ, we have this ongoing grace that God works in our lives by, by convicting us of sin and drawing us back to Himself so that we come to a point of repentance and we receive cleansing. And God is so good to take those of us who are cracked pots, right, and kind of dirty at times, and look at our lives, we've got dirty lives, and clean us up and make us acceptable in His eyes. And use us as vessels of honor for His glory. What a wonderful privilege to be able to be used by God to, to, to carry the gospel like Paul was challenging Timothy to challenge the church. Stay in the truth. Stay with the truth. Don't, don't get sidetracked by those who would argue about the fine points of doctrine who would even lead you down falsehoods. Don't get sidetracked by them. Preach the truth. Live the truth. Cut the word straight. Give the Give people the gospel. Live the gospel. Let the, let the gospel change your life and change your thinking. And God will make you a vessel for honorable use to carry the gospel to some poor thirsty sinner who needs the gospel, who needs to have their life transformed by the life-changing message of the gospel. Don't just commit yourself before God to being done with sin. Commit yourself before God to putting on Christ's likeness, to being all about pursuing righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. And those things that make sinners more Christ-like when they obey. I want you to note one more thing here. Look at the end of verse 22. We are to do this. The end of verse 22, we find out that we are to do this along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And here's the point. You and I are not, not to be living solo lives as followers of Christ. You're not to be solo servants of Christ. We're in this together. We gather here weekly. And sometimes more often during the week, to get, we gather together as a church family to be encouraged, to be challenged in the Word. We need one another. 
We're not to be solo servants for Christ. We're in this together. We need one another. God intended for us to be together as a body of believers, the body of Christ, to be encouraged and strengthened and built up and held accountable to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and to be clean vessels for honorable use. You know, in our brothers and sisters in Christ, they ought to be able to look around and find that we, like they, are serving as workers seeking God's approval. Our brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be able to look around at their brothers and sisters in Christ in the church and say, they're, they're after what I'm after. They're, they're pursuing God and honoring God with their life. We ought to be able to look around and they ought to be able to look around for us and find us fleeing those things that would contaminate us for God's service. Making us vessels for honorable use by God. And they ought to be able to look around and see that we too are pursuing that righteousness and faith and love and peace that makes for a powerful Christ-honoring church that serves together for God's glory. We don't serve together for our own glory. We serve together for God's glory. And how necessary it is, as you look at the end of verse 22, that we remember that we're to do this along with one another. Those who are calling on the Lord from a pure heart. Those who are pursuing God. Those who are taking a pass on sin and pursuing hard after the things of the Lord. We've got to be able to look around and see that that's true of one another. You know, we are greatly encouraged, and I am greatly encouraged, and I know that others are greatly encouraged when they see you come to church. When they see you in the community living a life of Christ-likeness. We are greatly encouraged by one another, aren't we? And that's just as God intends it to be. That we would be doing these things along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And we do them together for God's glory. We are, we, we will be a bright lighthouse in this community. We will be a, a loud, a loud trumpet call to those who need to hear the gospel when we live together in unity in Christ likeness. When we get this right, when we, when we run from sin and we turn from sin and we reject the, the sin that Satan would love for us to get involved in and we pursue hard the things that bring great glory to God and the things that will bring us the most joy. And we set ourselves apart from the world for the good of those who need Christ, that they might see God's power through God's church, truly at work, truly living in God's people when God's people turn from sin and and pursue righteousness with everything they have. And God will use us as vessels for honorable use when we yield before Him. Let's be clean vessels for God's glory. Let's purify ourselves. That God might look at us and say, I'm going to use that person, I'm going to use that person, I'm going to use that church as a vessel for honorable things that bring great glory to my my name, that show people the way to salvation. Let's ask God to help us be clean vessels. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning. We do ask, help us how desperately we need Your help, we need Your hand of provision in our lives, how how true it is that we cannot do this on our own, and yet we even see here in the midst of the text this morning that we do have to take, take steps of obedience to pursue Christ-likeness, to be done with the things that would contaminate us 
and make us vessels that are not fit for honorable use. God, I pray you would help us to be people who are so committed to your word and so yielded to your spirit that as we study the word together, we begin to become more and more aware of areas in our lives that aren't pleasing to you, that can be shaped in your image, shaped by your word, shaped by your spirit. Lord, help us to submit our whole lives to you. Father, you want us to be vessels of honor. We have... We have this promise before us that we can be, we can be on vessels for honorable use. And so this morning as we pray, we, we thank you that you haven't rejected us. You haven't said that you, you've blown it. You've wasted your life. You're no good to me anymore. Lord, help us to know that what you want is people who will truly follow you with their whole heart, with their whole soul and mind and strength people who will pursue you, pursue righteousness and Christ-likeness and faith and love and peace and live for you, for your honor, for your glory. People that will humble themselves before you, confess their sins and be cleansed and be made new and then be made ready. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be clean vessels as a church, as individual believers, as families. Help us to commit ourselves to your words we've seen taught this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.